Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk. I'm Tracy Morgan. Always nice to have you with us. I know, last round, here we go with the Butler Health System. Um, at least for me, I know Tyler's going to be taking things uh, from here. But we have Dr. Lagana with us, cardiology with the Butler Health System. And we're going to be talking about cardiology and prevention, some medications as well. And before I welcome the doctor into our conversation let me just remind you the different ways that you can listen. So you do have us, uh, of course, on Alexa-powered devices. There is an app you can download to whatever device that you would like. You have us online at WISR680.com. You could uh, access us that way as well. So Dr. Lagana is on the phone with me today. Hello. Welcome to the program. Hi. So let me ask you a little bit about you, if you don't mind, before we get into cardiology. But my question that I always love to ask doctors is what draws you to the field that you're in, specifically cardiology, because that's your specialty. How did you come come about to, to saying that was your niche? Uh, that's a great question, actually. Um, I just really enjoyed it in, in medical school. I loved the solving of a mystery using pieces of information that I could uh, use with test that we got to interpret you know a lot of times as a physician you send somebody else you send a patient off to the radiologist to get an x-ray or you know um, to another doctor but in cardiology I got to look at EKGs I got to look at ultrasounds I got to do procedures and use all of that information and tie it together to really help patients and there was an immediate response that you could see because um a lot of cardiology is life and death, and you can really help people. And so uh, that's why that's what drew drew me to it initially. And uh, I love it. I'm, I'm so happy I went into cardiology. I can't imagine what I would have went into if I didn't do this. I think it's amazing on, on what you can see and how you read scans and, and different test results. When, when you're looking at something like an MRI or, or something that is visual, what is it that you're looking for when it comes to cardiology? Uh, well, we look at heart function. We actually train ourselves to even look at lots of patterns that I wouldn't have even, you know, been able to uh, imagine that I could see even or see even quickly now. But just how the heart relaxes uh, tells us a lot of information about it. Uh, we watch blood flowing through valves. We can estimate sizes of, uh, you know, uh, like leakages of valves. Our valves not opening properly. How well is it contracting? How much blood is it pumping out to the body? We can look at coronary anatomy. Those are the blood vessels of the heart. We can see, are there blockages there? You know, how easy are they going to be to fix? Um, we can see lots of different things. For a cardiologist, uh, usually the, one of the first steps before we do anything is usually, you know, not only examining, but imaging. Imaging really tells us a lot about the, the function and quality of function of the heart. When we talk about cardiac issues, I, I want to spend more of our time on, on prevention today, but I still want to ask this question. What falls underneath the umbrella of cardiology when, when individuals come to you and, and are, become clients of yours, or I should say patients of yours? That's another great question because it's actually broadening significantly. Um, you know, Cardiology, you know, back in its heyday was pretty much, you know, all heart attacks or heart failure, which is the inability of the heart to pump out enough blood. But nowadays, there's so many risk factors that fall under cardiology, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, 
and diabetes and even the things that lead up into diabetes that um, are risk factors that we take care of a lot of patients with those type of problems also. And now for women, um, we're learning that there are a lot of risk factors that are specific for women that, you know, historically, you know, just don't apply to men like preeclampsia or having high blood pressure during pregnancy, preterm delivery, um, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome. All of these are independent risk factors for uh, cardiovascular disease. And so I'm seeing more and more patients uh, that have, you know, non-typical risk factors as a cardiologist so I can help mitigate their long-term risk for the development of coronary artery disease uh, going forward in the future. Because, you know, as you know, coronary artery disease is, uh, you know, it develops over a lifetime. And so it doesn't just suddenly, you don't just suddenly get diagnosed with it. Once you get diagnosed, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's been, you know, progressing over 20 or 30 years. And so now we get involved a lot earlier on with a lot younger people to try to prevent them from developing heart disease as they get older. Which comes first? Is it the visit after a diagnosis of a cardiac issue? Let, let's say, let me put it this way. So when you say something like high blood pressure, um, are they, it, does a patient have high blood pressure and they're seeing you for that? Or have they had a cardiac issue and you're noticing that they've had high blood pressure, which causes or affects the heart. Both, both come and see me. So, um, you know, and we definitely treat both. So we pick up a lot of people that, you know, have new onset uh, cardiovascular disease. And then we actually start seeing, oh, well, they have these risk factors, you know, that might not have been addressed or recognized, you know, usually because some people just don't have contact with the, uh, you know, with the healthcare community. And so, you know, you don't feel your blood pressure. Nobody's walking around saying, hmm, my blood pressure feels high today, you know, or my cholesterol feels high. So sometimes they get recognized after the fact. But, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of access to information. You know, you can just buy a blood pressure cuff at the, um, at the supermarket or just, you know, walk into the supermarket and check your own blood pressure. You know, or there's uh, screening clinics for cholesterol, high cholesterol. People have just become aware of it and then they notice it or they have a family history and they see what happens to, you know, a loved one uh, or a relative and they become hyper acute to, you know, wanting to prevent those type of things for themselves. So they look into it earlier on. So we do see both and we treat both. When we're talking about cardiology, cardiovascular disease overall, how important is it that we understand that this is the leading cause of death, isn't it? I mean, first of all, correct me if I'm wrong in that in the U.S., but but talk about why that's so important for us to understand. Yeah, no, it's definitely the leading cause. And over the last four decades, it was actually decreasing every year, um, the rate of death from cardiovascular disease. Then in 2015, it started going up again, surprisingly. And it's thought to be due to, uh, you know, lifestyle risk factors, um, you know, in part related to diabetes and obesity and hypertension. But um, it is the number one cause of death worldwide. It's the number one cause of death in the United States. And that's for both men and women. And it's for almost all ethnicities. Um, if it's not the top cause of death for a particular ethnicity, like um, American Indian, I believe, is, um, you know, one of the ethnicities that it's not the top cause of death. It's the number two cause of death. So, it is, you know, something that is 
significantly modifiable via risk factors. It's the number one leading cause of death worldwide and number one cause of disability um, also. And, uh, you know, if, if we can, it's not something that um, it's untreatable. It's not something that's not to a large degree preventable. So the more awareness that we have of it as a uh, disease process and our own risk factors, the better for it because there's something that we can do about it. I understand you, you say that the best prevention is lifestyle. Talk about what is it that we're doing wrong. Talk about what we could do better. Um, how do we change our lifestyle? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, that's um, like the, the whole, you know, root of the, the story here. Like coronary artery disease doesn't develop overnight. It doesn't just happen in one day. Heart attacks can happen suddenly, but, you know, we know from autopsy studies, there was a large autopsy study done on uh, young men that died during the Korean War, and a significant amount of them had atherosclerosis in their 20s. You know, by the time that we get to our 50s and 60s, and we start really developing or manifesting the you know, the very apparent symptoms of the disease, like needing stents or bypass surgery, that's been going on for much of our life and starting in our teenage years. So, you know, it takes a long time to develop. So having a healthy lifestyle and avoiding risk factors is the number one thing we can do. And it's actually more potent than just taking medications. You know, when we take medications, we definitely decrease our risk. And if you've had an event, we would definitely, uh, you know, recommend prescribing medications for you. But if you've never had an event, um, you know, the medications aren't don't have the same profound effect that diet and lifestyle would have. And we have lots of data for this. This is not just something that, you know, is randomly come, like, you know, like uh, people are positing. There's there's lots of data, and it's not perfect data, but there is a, you know a foundation that is so robust that there's actually now guidelines by the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology about what diets and lifestyle interventions have the most robust effect. But um, I would think of it as 10 times the effect of medications on average of, of preventing coronary artery disease. If lifestyle is such a huge aspect of this, as you're saying, over how much time does it take for an individual who would end up having a cardiac issue, a cardiovascular disease? Um, how long does it take to develop that if it's if it's if the reason is diet and lifestyle? That's a great question. I would probably pause it. You're looking at a minimum of 10, 10 to fifteen years. I don't think that data exists exactly, but it would be a prolonged period of time. So the sooner you can change or start, the better. You know, a, a, a lot of times what you see with uh, cardiovascular disease is after people have the event, like they have their heart attack, they get their stent, and they say, Doc, you know, I want to change. What can I do? And that's a great time to change. But if you can change little things, you know, before these events happen, you end up in a very, very different place. And sometimes, you know, you can slow down the progression. I would think of uh, cardiovascular diseases once you have it, you can try to put into remission, but it's difficult to prevent. So the prevention has to be significantly upstream. 
But you don't reverse it, right? There's no fixing it. I don't think that, like, you will ever, you know, you can mitigate it. You can improve it to a degree. But, um, and I would never suggest to somebody that they should not, like, that it's ever too late. It is never too late to try diet and lifestyle, you know, and I see that all the time. There are, they are clinical trials where they show significant improvement in cardiovascular function, even in people with advanced coronary artery disease that do aggressive lifestyle modification. But I would say that the type of modification you would need to do after the disease develops would be more aggressive than the type of modification that you would do prior to the disease developing. Like if you, like you imagine, you know, um, like a ship sailing across the Atlantic, you change the direction just a couple degrees, you'll end up in a very different place. And if you already got there and then you need to make a maneuver, you'd have to change your direction significantly. It takes a lot more effort um, at that time. And some changes to your uh, cardiovascular systems are difficult to reverse. You may have mentioned this already, but I'm going to ask my question uh, about ages. Are you seeing more and more younger people? And if you are seeing more and more younger people with cardiovascular disease, what does younger mean to you? Is it 20s, 30s, or does that mean 50s? Yeah, that's another great question. We are seeing more and more young people uh, with cardiovascular disease. Um, I would say that we are seeing more people in their late 30s and early 40s developing it. You know, as the obesity epidemic has uh, significantly increased in the United States, we're seeing it not only, you know, one third of teenagers are now um, overweight or or, or obese. And along with that comes type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance. We also call that metabolic syndrome. And that whole syndrome is actually strongly associated with coronary artery disease, um, and a few other diseases is actually strongly associated with cancer and associated with Alzheimer's disease uh, for multiple reasons. But because of that, because of the metabolic syndrome or the precursors to diabetes developing in younger and younger people in their teens, now by the time that people get to their 40s and late 30s, they're developing coronary artery disease, and we do pick it up. And... Um, it can have uh, significant consequences for people. So, yeah, we are seeing it earlier and earlier in people, unfortunately. And it's thought to be due to um, the metabolic syndrome and the lifestyle uh, problems and epidemic that we're having currently today. I do want to ask you a little bit about medications before, but before I get to that, let me ask you about the BHS lifestyle because we've had whole shows about the BHS lifestyle program. Um, at the hospital or with the health system. And it's a great benefit to the community to be a part of that. Let me get your opinion on on the BHS Lifestyle Program. I can't speak highly enough about it. Um, I am thoroughly impressed by it. I, I uh, came from Pittsburgh and part of a large healthcare institution over there, and I, could, I never had opportunities to get my patients in to meet with anybody like we have here at the Butler um, uh, Butler Hospital Lifestyle uh, Coaching Program. They do coaching on diet. They do coaching on exercising. They do coaching on relaxation. You know, the, the four pillars, I would say, to, to decreasing your risk is diet, exercise, decreased 
stress and improve sleep. And they address all of those things at our lifestyle coaching program. And um, I'm actually signed up for some of the classes myself just so I can experience in them and learn, uh, learn from them. And I learn a ton of stuff. And I, I think they do an outstanding job. It's evidence-based. It's flexible, so, you know, you, you don't have to worry, like, oh, they're going to come and say, like, you can't have any of the things that I love. You know, you're, you're, things will change. You want them to change. But, you know, they do it in a way that is based off of the scientific literature. They have, you know, it's not prescriptive. It's, um, it's done uh, in collaboration with you where, you know, you work with them. And um, I, I think it's outstanding. And um, I... I can't, I recommend it to basically all of my patients, you know, when everyone that yeah. comes in, I, I them to it. When we've done shows with the BHS lifestyle program, I, I often say it's okay if you feel a little guilty that you don't know this already, because you know, as adults, I think we, we feel like we should have figured this out already. And as we keep growing and we keep the same lifestyle habits, I, at least for me, sometimes I feel guilty that I didn't learn it the other way. And, and yeah. it's open to anyone. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. You know, even in medical school, they don't teach a lot of this stuff. It's not part of the curriculum. You know, the number one cause of death for cardiologists is actually a heart attack. Oh, my. Just like everyone else, you know, which is, is fascinating. So I think everyone could benefit from it. And, and that's why even I, myself, as a physician, am signed up for their classes here at BHS. And, um, you know, I think it's great. We're talking about cardiology today, some prevention uh, thoughts as we talk today with the Butler Health System. And the other area, doctor, that we you mentioned earlier was medication. So I wanted to see if you could expound on that just a little bit more because some people do need medications, and I, I think that's important to talk about. So if they do need medications, how do you start down that road, and, and what do you know what is best for an individual with their particular cardiovascular disease? That's another great question. You're, you're hitting me with great questions today. <laughs> you know, well, the first thing I would say is once we, you know, once you see a physician, you should get your risk factors assessed. You should then um, get risk stratified. We have these risk calculators that can calculate your 10-year risk and 30-year risk of developing cardiovascular disease. And, you know, you can, those risk calculators can't exactly take into your family history into account. So, you know, you just can't just go to a calculator online and sort of figure this out. You got to, you know, talk to someone who has experience with assessing this risk and, you know, you can tell them your family history too, and they can incorporate that um, into calculating what your individual risk is. And then we have mitigate, medicate, we have lifestyle options, obviously, first to try to alter those um, risk factors. And that's what I'd recommend to everyone first. My answer is not get on a pill first. If we can avoid a pill, we should avoid a pill. For some people, though, you know, for one reason or another, you can't avoid medication or you can significantly augment risk in addition to just lifestyle alone via a medication. And so by using those risk calculators and seeing what your risk is and seeing what we can get to with lifestyle alone, um, that's how we sort of figure out, yeah, you should be on a medication or not. And, and then we have, you know, there's classic medications that a lot of people have heard of, such as statins, which lower your cholesterol. But um, that can also lower your risk of future cardiovascular events. But they are, in the last, you know, five to seven years, 
multiple new medications that are coming onto the market that, you know, decrease your risk similar to statins that don't work via that same mechanism, um, that some of them aren't even pills that you take every day. One of them is an injection that you take every six months. You know, um, you know other ones uh, make you lose significant amounts of weight, but they've shown in clinical trials that they can decrease your risk of a heart attack um, by about 30% um, compared to just standard of care alone, uh, which is impressive. And, um, you know, they, you know, of all heart attacks, like for every 30 to 50 patients we treat with these medications, you can decrease, uh, you know, a major heart attack or stroke, which is significant. So there's lots of new medications. You know, if you've been seen by a doctor in the past and, you know, you couldn't take a medication, you know, maybe you could try plugging into the lifestyle clinic again. Uh, but if that's not working out for you, you've done everything you can. Or sometimes we just have genes that put us at very high risk. And if our risk calculator tells us that our you know, 10-year risk is greater than 20%, you might want to try one of these new medications that don't work via the old pathways. It might just be a twice-a-year injection, just like, you know, almost like a flu shot. You know, those are things that I would definitely want to consider today. How does one live after they've been diagnosed with a cardiovascular disease? And I know that cardiovascular disease is, a, is that umbrella topic with a lot of um, um, specifics underneath that, so I understand that. But generally speaking, do you have a lot of individuals concerned after they would have an event? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think usually when people have an event, it can be life-changing for them, um, you know, but the answer to that is that with that life-changing event, event comes awareness, and I think that's the key thing. And with that awareness, you know, that can be a double-edged sword because you get worried about having another event, but it can also be the great motivator for you to change things, change things in your life, uh, you know, change things in your diet, change things, you know, your, your relationship with your physician. You might not have seen them all the time, uh, but there's, there's a lot of things we can do for you. But your life should go back to normal, I think, for most people or should improve after your event. We have cardiac rehab here at BHS, which also gets you into an exercise program. They get you into some advice and coaching. You know, you feel better. A lot of times people have an event, they get plugged in, and then we do things for them or teach them how to do things. And then ultimately, they feel better after the event or after the invention than before. But heart disease is something that we often live with. You know, we, we live with the knowledge of it, whether it's heart failure and we make you feel better. It's coronary artery disease and we put a stent. You know, it never goes away. You might end up on some medications to prevent any progression. It's something that we live with. But it doesn't have to, um, you don't have to live in fear of it. Um, we, we partner with you and we help you to learn how to decrease your risk and hopefully prevent it from ever happening again. That's our goal. Of course, you would want people to see their doctor, to stay in touch with their doctor if they have any issues. But what are the other pieces of advice that you would have somebody to keep up on their own health? Like, should they be checking for signs or symptoms or just not stress about it? You've mentioned physical activity and diet a couple of times now. What, what's your thought as they progress into their life's journey after a, an event? 
You know, my advice would be definitely stay in touch with your doctor. I would, you know, work on the aspect of diet that I would work on is decreasing saturated fat in the diet, uh, you know, eating uh, more full foods, less processed foods, uh, you know, things that are, you know, recognizable as real foods that were, uh, you know, typically made in nature and not in a manufacturing plant. In, t- in terms of exercise, I would say that they should be doing m- at least moderate activity for, you know, any amount is good and any amount decreases your risk. But ideally, the goal is 150 minutes of moderate activity. That like, would be the equivalent of walking like 2.5 to 3.5 miles an hour um, for 150 minutes. So it's a brisk walk, uh, you know, you taking the stairs as much as possible in terms of of, um, you know, medications as needed, obviously. Uh, but if you can avoid it, that would be great. Risk factors to look out for yourself is to track your blood pressure. You know, the number one thing I see uh, patients do wrongly about tracking their blood pressure is that, you know, they feel stressed or they feel unwell and they say, let me go take my blood pressure now. And those aren't normal blood pressures. You know, those are going to always be abnormal and then it creates anxiety for them. Uh, because they see a high number and then they keep on rechecking it and it gets higher and higher because they become more and more anxious. In trials, a normal blood pressure is usually checked when someone is calm and quiet. They're not talking to anyone else. They're not watching TV. They're not watching the news. Uh, you know, they're usually in a dark room and they have an automated cuff that cycles every five minutes, three times, and then it gets average. So that's something you could watch for. And you, so you should make your calm, you should make sure you're in your happy place. I tell people, Come and relax and checking that. If you're developing chest pain, especially with activity, you should let your physician know. You know, that's the classic symptom of heart disease. Chest pain with activity, that gets relieved with rest. Um, you should let somebody know. If you ever develop chest pain at rest and it lasts more than 15 minutes and it's not going away, that could be a heart attack. Uh, you should let somebody know. And symptoms can be different. You can feel numbness or pain down your arms. You can feel pain going into your neck. You know, you know, one of my family members had a heart attack and, you know, they were in the healthcare field and they just felt a gas bubble in their stomach. So I'm not saying, you know, it it, it could be anything, but it can be anything. If it's concerning to you, get checked out. Um, But those are the type of symptoms I would watch out for after somebody has an event. You know, usually they have some experience that they can rely upon. One of the most predictive things to know if you're having a heart attack is, does this pain feel like the heart attack you had in the past? That significantly increases the probability that it might be another future event. But um, stay active because being active not only prevents heart attacks, but it's a way of testing your heart. It's your own natural stress test. If you get symptoms with activity that go away with breath, that's something I would definitely want to talk to my doctor about. Folks can always make an appointment with you or your team, if you will, the team of doctors with the Butler Health System. You're at the Crossroad Campus, if I understand that correctly, Oneida Valley Road. Yep, I'm at the Crossroad Campus. I'm also at Elwood City, but we have doctors in lots of locations, outreach clinics uh, around the area. But, you know, all of us, we we all meet at our Crossroads Campus. Yeah, I think that building will be the new building until you build another one. (laughs) 
it's been a while. It's already been, it's been up for a while now, but it's still the new one to us here in Butler. Um, so you have the Crossroads, uh, Elwood City, Clarion, Sevenfield, Seneca, Slippery Rock. And if you want to make an appointment, folks, you can always contact the Butler Health System if you want to just go ahead and do that. 1-866-620-6761. Um, so 866-620-6761. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. I always appreciate it. I, pr- I appreciate you being here and sharing some information with us. Uh, no, I really enjoyed it. That you asked me so many great questions. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And folks, thank you very much for joining us as well. This is going to be on our website, by the way. So if you missed some of it or would like to hear it again, I would point you to WISR680.com. Pick programs, drop it down to Let's Talk, and that's where you're going to find our information. Thanks so much. I'm Tracy Morgan with the Butler Radio Network.